Please remain standing in honor of God's Word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs, and this morning I will read selected verses from the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. Uh, in case you weren't with us last week, I mentioned that there was going to be a little bit of a transition this week. Uh, the messages now will be more topical. Uh, sometimes we'll look at a handful of verses that cover a particular theme. Uh, sometimes we'll just look at one verse. Uh, but this morning we're considering righteousness, and we'll look at a few from Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, we'll begin at verse 1. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the righteous. Verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 16. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. 24. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desires of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. 30. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as your word goes forth this morning, I pray that you will send your spirit to touch my tongue so that I can clearly declare your truth. May the spirit touch the ears of each one of us so that we can hear your words. And then we ask that your spirit will inflame our hearts with an eager desire to live righteous lives for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In Proverbs chapter 10, we find the words righteous or righteousness 14 times, depending on your translation. When we look at the entire book of Proverbs, by my account, we find the words righteous or righteousness some 75 times. Now, while my tally may be slightly off, the more pertinent question is, what is the significance of the abundance of verses that talk about righteousness? 
Some of you may be thinking, I thought this was a book about wisdom. These verses make it sound like it is a book about righteousness. Well, if you were to ask me this question, uh, Pastor Wayne, thus far in your study through the book of Proverbs, is there any truth that has risen to the surface that stands out to you, something that's come into sharp focus? And I would say here is what stands out to me in my study thus far, and that is the tight connection between righteousness and wisdom. The tight connection between righteousness and wisdom. I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but here we go. Um, There are three facets to wisdom. The first one is, to be wise, you have to have principles to live by. Second, wisdom is character traits, such as righteousness, that guide our lives. And the third facet of wisdom is Jesus Christ, who is God's wisdom incarnate. Which means if we are going to get wisdom, as Solomon tells us to do again and again, then we must get Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Paul said, we find in Colossians 2.3. Now, for me... Points one and three have been pretty clear. If we're going to be wise, we need to have principles to live by, and we need to follow those. And I've always understood Proverbs 1.7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what really has risen to the surface for me is the need also to be righteous if we are going to be wise people. Perhaps I'm not alone in tending to think that wisdom involves intelligence and insight into a situation. And while that is true, I submit to you that it is even more important to be a man or woman of integrity if you are going to be a wise person. Yes, we need to know the principles. We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. But we must be people of integrity, people who are righteous. And it's this righteousness that I want us to consider this morning. And I want to do this so that we can be wise and also enjoy the many blessings that come from righteousness. If you're taking notes this morning, I have three points. I want us to look at the natures of righteousness And then I want us to consider the pursuit of righteousness. And then we will look at the blessings of righteousness. So let's let's begin with the natures of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. But if you are going to get into heaven, you have to be appropriately dressed. Heaven has a dress code. (laughs) You say, that's interesting. Where do you get that? I get that from Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And then we're told that the king sent out his servants, and 
he invited everybody without exception to this great wedding feast for his son. And then picking up the parable in verse 10, we read, And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at those guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which is obviously a reference to hell. He was not appropriately dressed. When you and I arrive at the gates of heaven, the question is, will we be properly dressed? In other words, will we be clothed in righteousness? In order to get access to heaven, you need perfect righteousness. And here's where the problem enters in. In and of ourselves, we don't have it. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all, all of us, without exception, become like one who is unclean. And all our, quote-unquote, righteous deeds are like filthy garments, a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. To get into heaven, we need righteousness. And the prophet says, all our best righteousness is like a filthy, polluted garment. And we need perfect righteousness. It's like God says the dress code for heaven is a tuxedo, and we walk up to the gates, and we're wearing greasy, grimy, dirty clothes like we wear to work in the garden or to work on our cars. And God says, you think you can wear that and get into my kingdom? You don't meet the dress code. That's your problem. In and of yourselves, you don't have that righteousness. That's my problem. I don't have it. So what's the solution? The solution is that God will provide it. That's why we love the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you his righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
theologians refer, refer to that as the great exchange or the double imputation. In other words, our sin is imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed to our account. I like, I like to picture it this way. Every single one of us has one of these, a dark, ugly sin portfolio. And every single sin that you've ever committed in your life, thought, word, and deed is recorded in here. None of it has escaped God's notice. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says to you, hand me that. And he takes your sin portfolio and he nails it to the cross. And that's exactly what Colossians says. He nailed our sins to the cross. Our sins are imputed to his account. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness, the perfect life that he lived. He hands it to us. And his perfect righteousness is imputed to our account. So when we get to heaven, we present that to God. And God says, this is amazing. You've lived a perfectly righteous life, and now we have access into his kingdom. Now we're appropriately dressed. This is how Isaiah 61.10 describes it. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What a picture. The robe of righteousness. So we show up for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God says, what are you wearing? I see you have the wedding garments on. Enter into my kingdom. Do you have the righteousness of Christ? Do you have that robe on so that you can wear it to the great feast? So the first nature of righteousness is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The second nature of righteousness is what theologians call imparted righteousness, imparted righteousness. Simply put, when you become a Christian, God implants within you new desires, new affections, so that now you want to live a righteous life. Now you have a desire to please God and bring glory to him and all you think, say, and do. We have these new desires. I remember one time somebody in this congregation asked me, how interested was I in reading the Bible before I became a Christian? And you know what I said? I had zero interest. <laughs> I didn't have any interest in reading the Bible whatsoever. And then I became a Christian. And all of a sudden, it was like, where's my Bible? <laughs> I know I was given one years ago by my mother. Where is that Bible? And all of a sudden, there's this new desire to read God's word and to learn and to, to grow. And a good question is, where did that come from? That came from God. It's a blessing that he gives to his people. This is what happens when we put our faith in Christ. We enter into what's called the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 24, describes it this way. God says, 
I will take you from the nations. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. By virtue of God's spirit that now dwells within the Christian, we have new desires, which includes the desire to live a righteous life that is pleasing to God. So I have to ask you, do you have that desire? Do you wake up in the morning saying, I really want to please God as I go about my day? Do you, do you have that? Is it earnest? Is it sincere? That, that is the mark of a Christian. If you do not have that d desire, if you do not have that thought, then perhaps you just have a generic belief in Jesus Christ and his existence, but you haven't surrendered all to him, as we sang about earlier. Have you surrendered all to him? Maybe you haven't confessed, Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore I will yield my life to him. Not because I have to, because I want to. Do you have that want to? That's the mark of a Christian. So those are the natures of righteousness, the imputed righteousness and the imparted righteousness, which brings us to the second point, the pursuit of righteousness. And we should have a desire to pursue righteousness every single day. When, when you're putting together your, your to-do list, you know what should be at the top of the list? And I mean the very top, number one, the pursuit of righteousness. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33? But seek first his kingdom and his what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And all these things in the context is food and clothing. Before you seek after food and clothing, you need to seek after righteousness. And you might be thinking, but pastor, I need food and clothing to survive. I know. Which means even more than that, you need righteousness. That's how important righteousness is. Before you seek the meal you're going to have, you need to pursue God's righteousness. And God wasn't kidding when he said first. Seek first, above all things, again, at the top of the list, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then everything you need will be added unto you. So if you want the blessing of God, and I assume you all want the blessing of God, you must seek righteousness. And when that happens, it will come. And the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those, and I love this, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't that a picture? You might be wondering, what should my pursuit of righteousness look like? 
it should look like a man who is hungry and thirsty because he hasn't eaten for days. To hunger and thirst for righteousness expresses intense desire. Does that describe your attitude? What, what a picture. It reminds me of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul pants for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Isn't that something? This would be a great epitaph to put on a tombstone. Here lies Joe Christian, a man whose soul panted after God. Wouldn't that be a tribute? A man whose soul panted after God. Or Jane Christian, a woman whose soul panted after God. God, that, that's the calling there. Or what David said in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul faints for you. And it begins by saying earnestly. I seek you. If you have the new King James Version or the King James Version, it says, early I seek you. And those go together. If you were paying attention, you heard Mark early. If you are earnestly seeking God, you know what you do? You early seek God because you're seeking God first thing in the morning. You rise, you shine, maybe you get your cup of coffee and your mindset, it's time to seek God and his righteousness. And you don't just do that because you're sleeping until whenever. You rise early. And he also mentioned Jesus who made it a habit to rise, according to Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Why did Jesus do that? Because he was earnestly seeking after God and his righteousness. It was number one on his to-do list. And again, I have to ask, is it number one on your to-do list? Or if you were honest, would you have to confess this morning that it's maybe a little further on down the list than it? Then it should be. It should be at the top of the at the top of the list. If it's at the top of the list, it'll show itself in prayer, seeking God and His Word. There's one other thing that your pursuit of righteousness should include, and that's that's other believers. Not only do you want to seek God alone, but you want to get together with other believers, and we're commanded to do so. Second Timothy two twenty two. The Apostle Paul told his young understudy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the Bible says, pursue righteousness, but it also says you do this in conjunction with other believers. You don't just do this by yourself. And I tell you, it's been one of the joys of my life to be able to do that with some of you. 
And it's amazing, just a quote-unquote casual conversation in the foyer, how it can transform your life and, and help you to pursue God in, in new ways. And if you'll show up in, in two weeks, I'll give you an example of one of those conversations that I had out in the, out in the foyer, which will be based on the message in, in two weeks. But you need to come back in two weeks for that. <laughs> so are, are you pursuing God like, like you should? Are you doing it with, with other believers? If, if you're doing it by yourself, your pursuit is not, is not as hot as it, it could be. And that brings us to our, to our third point, the blessings of righteousness. How much time do we have? I have a long list. I'm, I'm not even kidding. There, there are so many blessings in the book of Proverbs. And, and just as you read through the book of Proverbs, just pay attention to all, to all the blessings that are given to the righteous. But I, I have to give you at least a few, though. So Proverbs 2, 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. King James Version says righteous. He stores up wisdom for the righteous. So there's our connection again. If you want wisdom, it flows out of righteousness. Now, what, what does wisdom look like practically? Think of a, a small group or a prayer meeting, and one, one of the individuals in that group raises a difficulty that they're going through. And I, I imagine like three different people in, in the group giving giving advice to this person. And, and it's all good advice. Every single one of them has a, a verse to back up what they're saying. It's, it's not bad advice. But of those three, one most likely is wiser than, than the others. And I say that because it not only takes into account the situation and the scriptures that relate to the situation, but it also takes into account the individual. And a person who is wise not only knows what's biblical and correct, but also what that given person needs, where they are at that time. And to do that, to give advice in such a way that they can hear it and understand it, takes wisdom. And that'll come to those who are righteous. Jesus, of course, no surprise, was brilliant in how he dealt with people and the wisdom that he exercised in various situations. Think of the woman caught in adultery. How did he respond to her? Gentleness, tenderness, compassion. Go and sin no more. And then there was the Samaritan woman at the well. He was a little more firm with her, exposing her, her immoral life, showing her her need for a, for a savior. And then, of course, there was the Pharisees. And towards the Pharisees, he was very aggressive, calling them hypocrites on more than one occasion. And Jesus knew just, just the right response. How was he able to do that? Because he was wisdom incarnate. And, and we want to have that, too. And it comes from righteousness. That's one of the blessings. Another blessing is God will draw close to you and answer your prayers. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, 
but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Two observations. First of all, notice that he's, he's far from the righteous. By contrast, he's very close to the righteous. Practically, this means that the righteous have a greater sense and enjoyment and communion with God's presence than the wicked do. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, I think, is 1 Samuel 16, 14, which says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Isn't that a sad picture? Picture King Saul anointed, God's Spirit resting upon him, and then because of his rebellion, the Spirit departs, and it's like the Spirit just walked away from him. Incidentally, when, when David prayed in Psalm 51, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That didn't have anything to do with his salvation because he prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Not restore to me my salvation, but the joy of it. David, because of his sin of adultery and murder, was afraid that the same thing would happen to him that happened to Saul. He was afraid that God's spirit would leave him, so he prays, please, please cast not your spirit from me. So he prayed that God's spirit would not depart because he loved living in the presence of God and enjoying his spirit. But also notice that God hears the prayer of the righteous. And I think you all know that means more than, oh yeah, I, I hear that. That means answer. <laughs> he hears, he responds to it, and he answers it. That's what it means. And that's something that he does for the righteous and not the wicked. That's, that's important. James 5, 16 and following. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. The prayer of a righteous person and that's talking about the imparted righteousness. That's talking about a person who is walking closely with God. When that person speaks, it's like God is all ears. When that person speaks, God hears and God answers. And we need to understand that God's sin, or excuse me, our sin, can affect our prayer life. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. This is why our time of confession is so important. We own up to, to that sin. This is, as we own up to that sin, that sin barrier is away, and then God, once again, hears our prayers. So we need to walk in righteousness, and then we can have answers to prayer. Here's the third blessing. God will make you bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Isn't that something? Righteousness brings boldness. Wickedness brings fear. We could even say 
paranoia. <laughs> the wicked flee, though no one pursues. What a picture. They're running for their lives because they're scared to death. And they're like, they're coming after me. Who's coming after you? There's nobody there. That's what happens to, to the wicked. That's, that's the judgment of God. So if you don't want to live in, in fear, if you want to be bold, pursue righteousness. And as you grow in righteousness, I promise you, I've experienced both sides of the coin. When honesty, I've experienced both sides. But when you walk with God in righteousness, the boldness will come. Sin will make you cowardly. You might be like a lion, but it's going to be the cowardly lion. You want to be a bold lion, and righteousness brings that. Another blessing that comes is, is joy. Proverbs 10, verse 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. And remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 6 that we quoted earlier, blessed or happy or joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied so as you pursue righteousness you will experience joy you will experience satisfaction another one related to satisfaction proverbs 10:24 this is a great one what the wicked dreads will come upon him but the desires of the righteous will be granted. Isn't that wonderful? The desires of the righteous will be granted. Or early in our call to worship, we read from Psalm 37. I love verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We love that because we want the desires of our heart granted. And if you delight yourself in the Lord... If you are a righteous person, it's as though God is saying to you, what are the desires of your hearts? Let me know. They are yours. And you think, really? Really? Of course they're yours. Because if you're delighting yourself in the Lord and walking in righteousness, guess what? Your desires are righteous and God-pleasing. <laughs> So, of course, he's going to grant them because they bring glory to him as well as joy to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And oh, how many people aren't satisfied. Wow. Which makes me think of a rock song, and this is Mark's fault. <laughs> That English philosopher, Mick Jagger, remember? I can't get no satisfaction. Mark, how's it go? Oh, I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. Of course you can't, because your delight is in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But if your delight was in the Lord, if you were a man of righteousness instead of debauchery, then you would be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, and they alone, shall be satisfied. 
when you hunger and thirst for righteousness and pursue it and walk in it, you'll walk through life satisfied. How many people just are not satisfied with what they have? And they're looking for the next whatever. But you can be satisfied as you pursue what God's calling you to do. This, this is God's blessing for you. Let me, and let me just close by making this real clear. All, all these blessings, and, and this isn't even a quarter of them, but all, all these blessings and more, they are yours not when you pursue the blessings. That's important. Not when you pursue happiness, not when you pursue satisfaction, not when you pursue all these other blessings. These blessings are yours when you pursue righteousness. And as you pursue righteousness, these blessings will come your way as a byproduct of pursuing righteousness. It's very happy. It's, excuse me, it's very important. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as a byproduct, you'll be blessed, happy, joyful, satisfied. So make sure we get the order correctly. So if you have the imputed righteousness of Christ, you're appropriately dressed. If you have his imparted righteousness within you through the Spirit, and you're pursuing that righteousness on a regular basis, I promise you, based on God's word, you will be blessed. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us. Thank you that you are a God who has our best interest at heart. Forgive us for those times when we doubt your promises, when we foolishly stray from them to our own hurt. Father, I pray that every single person has put their faith in Jesus Christ and his enjoying your imputed and imparted righteousness. I pray that you will help us to be more earnest and eager in our pursuit of righteousness. And may we do this for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name, amen.